It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, July 6th. Happy July, everybody. Uh, a, a very busy show with a lot of moving pieces that are just starting to fall into place on this Monday. Uh, lots of MLS's back tournament talk. We're going to talk about FC Dallas, and if you've missed or been sleeping or been under a rock, FC Dallas has been removed from the MLS's back tournament after a bunch of positive tests, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Nashville, who's Seems like they might be on the heels of FC Dallas. And of course, the LA Galaxy traveled today to land in Orlando. We can tell you that they got there. But the man who beat them to uh, to Orlando by just a little bit um, is uh, is the panda himself, Mr. Kevin Baxter, who had a, uh, a long travel day today. So uh, how's it going, Kevin? You know what? It's raining here. There's lightning. There's thunderstorms. Perfect weather for a soccer tournament. It's supposed to rain all day Wednesday, but it may let up just before the opening games but i know that when we landed it was raining and we couldn't go to the gate because of lightning um and uh the galaxy came in shortly after me it might have let up a little bit but the weather's not good but, but here's another thing that I, that I i thought of on the way over here if you remember the reason we're starting this tournament and playing this tournament is because on march 12th the mls season was suspended after two games march 12th march 11th the nba suspended its season right. the next morning in major league baseball the uh, the NHL, NCAA college basketball tournament, MLS, everyone shut down, right? Sports were shut down. I went back and looked on March 12th, 1,323 Americans had been tested positive for coronavirus. 38 people had died. 1,328 positives, 38 deaths on March 12th. And it was so bad. It was so dangerous. We stopped sports across the country. Right. Do you know that right now they're going to reopen the uh, sports on Wednesday when the MLS comes back and then the NBA and Major League Baseball, they're training, they're getting ready to come back. Right now, we're having um, twice as many Americans test positive for COVID every hour right mm -hmm. now as opposed to what we had on March 12th. We're having nearly 15 many deaths a day as we had total on March 12th. So if we had to shut down on March 12th with those numbers, why are we reopening now when the numbers are astronomically higher? It, it just, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's, you know, um, it's fatigue and it's number fatigue and it's everything else. And we know that in general, the American public has a rather short attention span, Kevin. I, I mean, as a as a reporter, I think you can you can vouch for that, and I can certainly vouch for that understanding. Um, you know, I think there's a great question about whether or not this should be happening. Um, I don't know that people should be putting their lives uh, in danger or anything else for that matter for for this for this entertainment sport. Yes, uh, there's some livelihoods on the line for some of these players. In fact, most of these players probably need the money. Um, in order to keep things going. So I understand that, but I don't know if it's worth, worth risking lives for it. And so uh, it, it's still an entertainment issue, right? Well, I well mean, here's the thing. Yeah. Adam Silver, who's the commissioner of the NBA, said, and, and something that a lot of other people have said too, he said, we've got to learn to live with this virus. It's not going to go away um, until we get a vaccine. We don't know when that's going to be. 
um, you know, it, we've got to move on and we've got to, to, to uh, learn to live with it. I, I agree with that to a certain extent. And then Adam Silver did go on to say, but, you know, with the numbers really blow up in the NBA and a lot of infections and it's just too dangerous, we are going to stop. It's not, you know, it's not one way. Um, you know, we have to be, be aware of the situations. I agree with that. I think my problem might be sports, though. I mean, I think we have to get back to work. People have to go to their jobs. Uh, especially if they're essential workers. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's entertainment. Maybe playing a kid's game, an adult playing a kid's game in the middle of a pandemic may not be the best example you, that you want to, you know, set for society. Yeah, um, you know, it was it was interesting because, you know, so many times we've heard Don Garber basically say, uh, you know, this is happening. This tournament is happening, you know, the whole deal, and people are seeing the positive tests and all these things. And it's like, you know, this stuff is happening. And, and today, I think for the first time, he was sort of like, listen, if we see, you know, positive tests come through in Orlando, meaning that it's transmissible in Orlando, not that it just came from somewhere else uh, and has landed, uh, you know, in Orlando. So it wasn't brought to Orlando. It's actually originating inside the hotel in Orlando. He he says, yeah, then, of course, you know, he, he'll, he'll, he'll shut it down, um, hold it, which is sort of the first time I think we've really gotten to the point of, hey, if this gets bad, then then he'll shut it down. But I mean, you know, Kevin, as we know, as we've watched this disease, we've seen so much uh, of what is going on with coronavirus. We know there's a lag in all this stuff. Right. So if you go to shut it down, it may be too late to shut it down because you're already two weeks behind uh, of when this stuff actually started being transmissible. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting sort of thing to watch. And and I, we're going to get into all of FC Dallas and, and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. I have to start, though, because I have not traveled since the global pandemic. Uh, I know you hadn't traveled really on an airplane uh, since the global pandemic. So you have to give me an idea of what it was like to go to LAX and fly from LA to Orlando. Okay. First of all, I love traveling. It's my favorite part of the job. Uh, I really like hotels. I like plane flights. As stupid as that sounds, I really enjoy the experience. So I tell you all that only to tell you that I didn't sleep last night. I was really anxious and worried about this. I talked to a couple doctors um, and one of them told me, put an N95 mask on um, and don't take it off for anything. Don't take it off to eat the peanuts. I, I wound up getting a, a plastic bottle with a straw so I could drink water through the straw without having to take the mask off. I was so spooked by what he told me. Then I had another doctor tell me, look, the plane flight is fine. It's the airport, it, which is the problem because you're indoors and you're, you know, people are sitting around. There's not a lot of social distancing. So that didn't make me feel any better. Uh, I got to LAX. It was really, really weird. I mean, it, the airport was empty. Most of the stuff inside, the little stores and kiosks, the Starbucks, all, the, all shut down. There were a mm. couple of them open. People would not stand next to you like over in, you know, you, when you're waiting for your flight in the boarding area. People were just, you know, really spaced out. Um, I actually bought two tickets on the plane. I bought the window seat and the seat next to it. The, the airfare was fairly cheap. I didn't want anyone sitting in the middle of the seat, and United could not guarantee that that seat would remain open. So I bought two seats, um, and the flight was actually great. Uh, knock on wood, I didn't obviously didn't have anybody next to me. The flight was pretty quick. Everybody was quiet. Um, there wasn't a, everyone. Everyone kept a mask on. Everyone was actually pretty good. It, it, it was just very eerie. I mean, you did, if you wanted to sort of settle down and just sit in your seat and read a book and pretend like everything was normal, it was impossible because it was so obvious. Everything that happened on the flight just reminded you that it's not normal. And then you get to the hotel and it's the same thing here. Most of the stuff, the gym is closed. The pool is closed. No room service. The restaurants are closed. Um, it's just a, a weird experience. This is my first trip since February 12th, I think. Um, 
uh, first airline hotel trip since February 12th, and it is I can't believe how different it is. It's yeah. really bizarre. Yeah. Well, what's the panda going to graze on if there's no room service? I mean, I figured room service was your bag. Room service is definitely my bag. I, I, I get it. I love the hotels. And, you know, the thing is, is people say, well, how was the city that you went to? And I say, well, the soccer stadium was nice and the hotel room was nice because that's all I ever get to see. Stay right. in the room and work, go to the game, come back and work some more. Um, I do happen to love this supermarket chain they have down on this in the southeast. You know, I used to live in Florida, mm-hmm. Publix. I love the Publix deli especially. So on my way from the airport to the hotel, knowing that there wouldn't be any anything uh, to graze on here, stopped at Publix, bought a bunch of groceries, bought them home, and I think I'm I think I'm good. I don't have to go out for a while. No, well, well that's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, you can uh, you can sort of uh, button up there, and then uh, you're basically you and I have discussed this. I, I think we probably share it with some of the listeners too. But you have to apply to go to all of these games. They know you're there. They know that you're capable of going to the game. But it's a it's a process now, and there's no guarantee that basically you're going to be able to cover the games you want to cover, except for the fact that they know you're the beat reporter for it for Los Angeles. Um, so you should be able to probably get high priority to get into both of the uh, the L.A. teams uh, games. Well, what they did is um, they, 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 they call this tournament a world a World Cup type tournament, but it's really nothing like a World Cup. Um, there are some, the you know, similarities that they have a group stage and a knockout stage. There are similarities for the media. We have to apply for tickets. That's how it works at a World Cup. You just don't show up for Germany, Mexico. You have to apply to FIFA for a match ticket to get into the into the media tribune. It's the same here. They have ten or eleven uh, seats in the media tribune here, which will be the media tribune is a table on uh, on the side of the field over in the corner. Um, and, and that's a t- 10 people. Um, so you had to apply for those. Uh, I, I did get the opening game, which is really one I wanted. I wanted to see what it was going to be like, what the situation was, what the setup was like, what it's like watching a soccer game when there's no crowd and there's no supporters and there's no chants and cheers and flag waving. So I really wanted to go to that first game to see what it's like right out of the right out of the box. So I did get uh, tickets for that. And then I, I tried to be respectful of my colleagues and not apply for you know, uh, FC Cincinnati and Chicago Fire or whatever other games might be coming up because I didn't want to keep out a reporter, even if he was a blogger or a website guy, I didn't want to keep, <coughs> excuse me, keep him out if that's the team he covers. So I did not apply for those games, but I did get all the uh, LA Galaxy games, all the uh, LAFC games, and then the opening game, which is the one I, I really wanted. Oh, that's good. No, it's uh, it, it seems like it's going to be an interesting sort of time there in Florida. And like you said, um, you know, I have been to to Orlando uh, once in my life. Uh, it was in June-ish, July-ish, uh, right in the, I think, end of June, beginning of July area. So right around the time that, that you're there, um, I can tell you, you know, it was un- it was unreasonably warm and humid, uh, which is why MLS is setting up all of these different uh, game times to one try to avoid the sort of the center of the day where it's uh, really hot but as you said rain uh, certainly an issue humidity heat is going to be an issue um, you know it's hurricane season as well so hopefully you don't get saddled with that but it is 2020 oh. Kevin so I would imagine that you know you'll probably get lucky enough and have to dodge one of those at least it does rain every afternoon right around the same time between 4 30 and 6 30 it rains every afternoon so MLS is avoiding that and in fact it'll probably work out really well because it'll it'll, it'll water down the turf if doesn't get too bad um, but there is a tropical storm forming in the Atlantic it's the fifth earliest uh, record uh, storm on record uh, forming uh, this part hurricane season is June through November but it's it's uh, unusual to have storms form this early so MLS may be in it's unlikely that this is going to make landfall but 
the way things are going for MLS, this this <laughs> just might be uh, the, the, the topping on the cake if they wind up getting one of the earliest hurricanes on record to hit in the middle of the MLS's back tournament. Well, we talked a whole bunch uh, about this, and Kevin, I know that you had a, uh, a great discussion with uh, somebody from ESPN. The article was uh, widely circulated around MLS and around MLS sides as uh, you were able to talk to one of, I believe, the ESPN producer. I'll let you tell us who you talked to and a whole bunch of fun stuff there. But um, it really sort of highlights how ESPN, and a, a reminder to everybody, uh, regardless of who, which channel you're watching it on or who is t- quote-unquote broadcasting the game, ESPN is producing every single one of these games um, at the ESPN Wild World of Sports, as you would expect. Um, and they have a whole bunch of technology and a whole bunch of interesting things that they're going to try. Uh, and certainly, I think this is going to be a great sort of test bed for all of that, Kevin. So we're going to get to watch that, which probably means there's going to be some good stuff and some bad stuff and some stuff will work and some stuff you'll probably find on broadcasts that go from here on out because it works so well and some stuff you may never see again. So uh, a little bit of the the guinea pigs uh, as we go into this MLS's back tournament. Um, so, I mean, share some of the details that you had. And I know most people who, pr- who should have read your article in the LA Times about this probably know this, but uh, I, I know you have a lot of details that, you know, probably didn't even make the article. Well, yeah, the, the the producer of this uh, tournament will be a woman named Amy Rosenfeld. She's done eight World Cups, many of them for, for ESPN. And you're right. What she is going to do is she's going to uh, – her and her team of 160 people here on, on ground in Orlando, they're going to do all of the filming, uh, and they're going to distribute it to the other networks, TSN in Canada, Univision here in the U.S., and, and Fox Sports who are the other rights holders. The reason they do that is because, uh, you know, you can't have every – network come in with all of their cameras and all of a sudden then you have 80 cameras there so espn is the the lead broadcaster they will distribute the footage to the other uh, networks everybody ha- they're all the talent you know taylor twelman and, and all those people they will be back in a studio somewhere they will not be on site they will not be in florida so all those people will be back uh, anyways but so what what amy rosenfeld decided uh in, she's been working with Don Garber. Don Garber's been talking about this since April when it looked like the plans for this tournament were, were starting to be put together. His idea was a studio uh, soccer tournament. Then you, since there won't be any fans there and it's kind of a blank canvas is what Amy Rosenfeld called it, we can do whatever we want. We can set up the cameras, to, you know, wherever we want because we don't have fans to worry about. We don't have, um, you know, the stadium infrastructure to worry about. There's nothing there. This is imagine going to your local park for an AYSO tournament. That's what Wild World of Sports is like. There's a number of soccer fields. There's no infrastructure. There's no grandstands or anything in the way, so they can do whatever they want. So what Amy Rosenfeld's going to do, she's going to come in bet- with between 20 and 30 cameras. She said there'll be cameras in the locker rooms. There'll be cameras behind the net. There'll be cameras. Uh, there'll be cameras on drones, which she's really excited about. The one thing about the drones is you have those overhead cameras that you've seen, you know, at football games where you know you you see the view from behind the quarterback, and there's sometimes they're at soccer stadiums too. But um, you're limited to how low they can fly. With these drones, they're going to get right down close to the players because there's no fans to worry about. And what she envisions is something like the view that you get from behind the quarterback where you look down the field and you can see if a midfielder is coming up the field, you can see what his options are, where he can pass it, where the defenders are, how things are moving. She said the idea is to give people an appreciation for how difficult this game is, that it's not just one-on-one individual talent. There's a lot of teamwork that goes in this. There's a lot of thinking and options and picking out the best options so that those uh, drone cameras are something she's really excited about. They're also going to have a record number of microphones 
uh, use. They're going to have microphones all along the benches so you can hear the coaches talking to the substitutes. That's what she really wants to hear, what the coach says to the substitutes as they're sending them on. The referees will be mic'd, so you'll hear conversations between the referees and the players. They've even embedded microphones into the, into the turf uh, at, at, at midfield. She's really not sure what she's going to get from that, but it's an experiment just to see what happens. She said it could be you're just going to hear – you know, cleats come by, but she's hoping to get some conversation. Because of that, the whole um, broadcast will be on a seven-second delay because she fully expects to hear some swear words that they're going to have to beep out uh, because of all that. Um, there is some – if you've ever seen a TV broadcaster, you know about what a green screen is where it's a screen where you can put anything behind it. And if you watch the person when they're filming, think of the weathercaster – uh, doing the weather uh, uh, on the nightly news, and he, he points to a map. Well, there's nothing there. If you're in the studio, there's nothing there. It's superimposed on a green screen, uh, and he can see in the monitor, the, the the weather person can, what he's supposed to be pointing to. But if you're in the studio, you see nothing. They're going to have that, too. They're going to have the equivalent of a green screen along one sideline. And if you're watching the TV broadcast on some of the cameras, that uh, they'll pick up an animated um grandstand with fans there and they'll be advertising and those kind of things on it and then also there'll be uh, jumbotrons simulated jumbotrons that will appear at times in both end zones and at uh, midfield that'll have different kind of information on it maybe replays maybe pictures of fans she's amy is not really sure what it's going to have have on there from game to game it's going to change but in, in talking to me one of the things that that she was very excited about was the option of being able to do some really crazy things and seeing if it works. They're not going to have um, pumped-in crowd noise like they did in the Bundesliga and the Premier League. She thinks that's the equivalent of a, of a laugh track. Right. And it's it's fake. It's artificial. She doesn't want to do that. She wants to have the ambient noise carry the day. And even if you hear the echoes, that's fine because that's what you'll hear in the stadium. But she ended the article by saying that she says, you know what? People are not going to love everything. Ten people are going to love it and ten people are going to hate it. And she said some of this stuff is going to stick and some of this stuff is going to be something we wish we'd never even thought of. <laughs> but it's an experiment. And the, and and ESPN and uh, MLS together, MLS spending the most, they're spending about $10 million on this technology to do this. And I think it's going to be exciting. I think some of the stuff is going to be really cool. And I think I, I agree with Amy Rosenfeld. I think some of the stuff is going to be really dumb. But you don't know until you try it. And when else do you get to try something like this? There's no stadium environment. There's no fans. Right. You're in, you know, they're in charge of it. If they want, they could delay the game, start the game early, just speed it up, do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and they really are. It's, it's, it's telling that I think ESPN is is producing all these. Obviously, the location sort of dictates that. But when you look at the options here in the United States of who's broadcasting nationally televised games, ESPN is is the standard bearer for for uh, you know nationally televised games in the United States. Uh, we already went over the numbers and we said you know there's a significant difference in, in terms of about twenty five thousand dollars per game that gets spent by ESPN that doesn't get spent by Fox uh, whenever FS1 does a game, and you can tell you can see a hundred percent what that sort of investment and now you're looking at basically you know some upwards of hundred twenty five thousand dollars per game being invested by espn on this um in order to go ahead and, and broadcast uh these games so i'm looking forward to seeing how it works or how it doesn't work um i think it'll be interesting to see again the tournament's really just around the corner now um and so it, it's something to uh to watch and i think be excited for and again, with ESPN producing these games, you should get to see a lot of this technology, um, you know, sort of going around and, and you can certainly watch it. So 
Uh, that's all interesting stuff. I'm glad we got over like sort of the positive takes about all this stuff because now we really have to turn the corner, Kevin, and talk about FC Dallas. Um, and as I told you at the top of the show, FC da- Dallas had nine players and one coach that tested positive. MLS announced uh, that and has been sort of watching as those cases have been going up. Uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes reporting going on about what is happening inside the bubble as well. Uh, but ultimately, it was decided, and I think by MLS and FC Dallas, that they were going to be withdrawn from the MLS's back tournament. And so FC Dallas, which is a very interesting situation right now, uh, will not be playing three league games uh, at the tournament. Uh, This is a little different than NWSL on a couple different reasons. And we talked about the Orlando Pride and sort of how it seemed like uh, the... The carelessness of a few ruined uh, the hard work of of many uh, in that case. But what NWSL did was actually hold Orlando from ever coming to the bubble. What you have with FC Dallas is you have 10 positive cases um, and they all came uh, to the bubble. So this was all stuff that was picked up outside of Orlando in Dallas. Um, and then brought to the bubble in Dallas. Yeah, the the and, phone call is coming from in the room at this point. Yeah, the point now it is, um, but it wasn't at, at the time. I mean, these tests and these positive tests basically say, hey, this happened outside, and now we have to make sure that it doesn't carry out throughout the, this bubble. But, but here's the danger. You're right. Um, we know how long the incubation period is for COVID. There's not a lot we know about COVID, by the way, but we do know the incubation period, or we think we know the incubation period and how long it is. So, the fact that these players were all tested before they got on the plane, then they flew to Orlando, then they got off the plane and two tested positively immediately, and the other eight, there was actually 10 players and one coach, the other eight players tested positive within a couple of days. The, because of the incubation period, I think it's reasonable almost, it, you have to uh, believe that they all contacted that in Dallas and brought it with them. But now the problem is, so they brought it into the into the bubble. The bu- bubble technically wasn't punctured by someone in Orlando that brought that in. They brought that in themselves from Dallas. But here's the problem. Until those positive tests came back, the the second wave of players, that second eight players, they were wandering around uh, the complex, uh, presumably talking to other people, using uh, maybe going to the restroom, maybe using uh, the restaurants, you know, whatever. They were interacting with other people. Maybe players, maybe not, but they were they were moving around. They were in the bubble. They were not quarantined to their room. Like it, Nashville right now has been quarantined to their room. They haven't trained for, since Tuesday. That wasn't the case with with Dallas right away. So there is a great possibility that those tests that they that those uh, infections they brought with them from Dallas that that's is circulating now in the bubble because they were out in the bubble for the first few days that they were there. So. The, the, you know, again, the call is coming from in the room because they brought it into the bubble with them. Yeah, this is a this is a dangerous situation and something certainly that MLS had to sort of watch. The the big reason that FC Dallas was withdrawn from this tournament is because of the number of cases that they had, really, and the recovery time that it was going. Even if you kept those people in quarantine and didn't let them in, they they didn't have enough people basically to go ahead and still play in this tournament. Otherwise, the ones who weren't uh, quarantined may have been able to sort of carry along, which is probably the case, you know, in Nashville, which is uh, currently I think at five uh, positive tests um, and. And it looks like two or three were uh, were brought in from uh, Nashville and then uh, had some contact with the other couple or the other two uh, within the Nashville party. Um, and that looks probably how that happened um, as well. So, uh, you know, whether or not Nashville, which is supposed to play very soon, but with the loss of FC Dallas, uh, no longer playing in that group and uh, and Group A having six teams, Nashville being shifted over to the east is, a, you know, it's a possibility that what happens is MLS actually 
replaces Nashville or excuse me, replaces FC Dallas with Nashville in that group uh, and then moves group A to five teams, which screws up the whole three teams thing. But you can, you know, eventually somebody's going to be able to figure that math out better than probably me. Um, and so they're, they're going to be able to do that. And then by moving Dallas down or, or Nashville down, they put them back in the Western Conference, which also could delay when Nashville has to play because Nashville was supposed to only a couple days away from playing, uh, if I remember my, uh, my calendar correctly. Um, yeah, they were supposed to play the second game on Wednesday. Yeah, so it's which it, causes another problem for for uh, MLS because if they take Nashville out of that and they don't play the second game Wednesday, which would be ridiculous because they haven't trained since last Tuesday, um, they got to find another team to plug in there. And everyone's got their schedule, and everyone's been looking at their first opponent and been planning for that and and working out training. I mean, you're not gonna if, if all of a sudden your game is on Saturday. You're not. You're training hard, hard right now. You're not tapering off at all. What if they come to a team and say, "Hey, your game was supposed to be Saturday, but we need you to take Nashville spot on Wednesday." That's totally unfair to that team because they've been training as if they're going to play on Saturday. Yeah, it's it, listen. A lot of things look like actually Taylor Twelman was sort of indicating that. I believe on ESPN, uh, he was on on the television indicating that there were going to be some schedule changes and there were going to be more slots uh, in that 9 a.m. East Coast time, 6 a.m. West Coast time. Uh, which means, and I, listen, I don't think they're going to move any of the Galaxy games, so I wouldn't be up in arms jumping up and down. That doesn't seem likely. Um, but what is likely is somebody's going to be moving into those 9 a.m. spots because those slots are, are the most open out of any of the other slots. And quite honestly, ESPN, FS1, um, and you know, and uh, and Univision and whoever else is, is going to be broadcasting these um, probably has an open opening at 9 a.m. slash 6 a.m. on the channel. So they may be able to quote-unquote own that time slot um, if they do play that. So there is some advantage to the league as a whole playing in those time slots, and it certainly is a better time for Europe if you're trying to see that uh, that maybe some of the European or other places around the world would want to watch MLS soccer as well. So um, there's some reasons for that. Here's the here's the here's the the rub though, um, and certainly it's been indicated online, and you know it sounds like it. Uh, FC Dallas basically had the ten players and the coach. Um, that's 11 positives. Um, it's that's that's not a good deal. Obviously, we know that. But the the bigger issue here is that there seems to have been some irresponsibility on the part of the Dallas players. And this isn't to kick people while they're down. This is a a little uh, you know personal responsibility issue. But you know there are some people who are calling for FC Dallas to be punished for this, Kevin. Uh, perhaps having to forfeit all three of the games that they were going to play um, because they were rather irresponsible with the way that they handled um, the pandemic. And because of that, they put in danger not only themselves, their teams, but now also the tournament as a whole. As you said, um, it's inside the bubble now. It was brought inside the bubble by FC Dallas players to start with. Um, and it seems like from players' social media posts that there was not a lot of social distancing and mask wearing going on. And if you know Texas and, and Dallas, um, and certainly it was one of the states that was like, hey, we're wide open. Everything's good. Um, there was some irresponsibility, I think, as a whole um, from from certain leaders in that. And it seems to have struck FC Dallas down. But basically, you're saying that as professionals, as FC Dallas, um, that uh, they were not responsible and they put a whole bunch of people um, in jeopardy because of it. And so there's some there's a lot of questions to be answered around this. I mean, does it feel like you're kicking a team when they're down by saying that, you know, they should be punished for this? 
Well, you were the one that said earlier that Dallas is a young team, very young team, without a lot of veteran leadership. They have a new coaching staff, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, th- they're in a team kind of in transition, and, and there aren't any leaders there. And you're in a state where your governor says, hey, this thing has passed us now. All the cases are down. Don't worry. You're safe. Don't wear a mask. You can go out. I'm not saying that I would listen to that, but I'm saying I can understand where some young players who think they're bulletproof, like, you know, a lot of young people, you know, might might buy into that. And it's, it is a, a lack of discipline. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying I can understand how it happened. But it is a lack of discipline. And, uh, you know, there are other teams with a lot of young players. The Galaxy arrived tonight, um, uh, and they went straight from the executive airport here. The, the teams are not flying into the international airport. They're flying into the executive airport because it's safer. And then they take their bus over to the hotel, and then they immediately get tested. And then what happens is the players go to their rooms, uh, and they're quarantined in their rooms until the results of those tests come back. And that's a smart thing to do because if if you and I come in and I test positive and you don't, we're both in our room, so we're in control. If I'm the positive test and I stay in my room, then you're kind of you, you get to go. Right. Um, but I, you know, I I, I don't know anything. I, the, the tests are being administered right now. I don't know the results, but. I wouldn't be surprised, given everything that's going on here, if maybe the Galaxy had a positive or two. Um, and I don't know that that's going to happen. And even if it did, they certainly have enough time before their first game, which is on July 13th. But, you know, the teams that are arriving now, you know, Dallas had the 10 and Nashville with five. Um, we have Vancouver, Toronto and Colorado all coming in today because their flights were delayed a couple of days in the case of some of those teams because they had positive tests before they even left their home markets. Yeah. So it seems like the, the, the late, you know, San Jose was the first team in. They haven't, we haven't heard a peep out of them. They haven't had a problem. It seems like these later arriving teams and the Galaxy being one of the last, I would, I don't know anything. I'm not predicting. I don't know someone that has tested. I'm just saying, I, given everything going on, I would not be surprised if they did have one. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. The Galaxy have had zero positive tests. You had Spectrum report that. I confirmed it with the Galaxy. Zero positive tests in the month that they've been training. So uh, the LA Galaxy, I think, have sort of the personal responsibility uh, in line there. Um, I know that there were certainly rumors and some things issued around um, possibly some Instagram stories that were going around of certain players who possibly uh, attended some July 4th festivities. And I uh, had tweeted out before the July 4th uh, long weekend. I said, this is the biggest test for most of the MLS teams who are still not um, back in the bubble yet is that they're there they are you know in their home markets around their friends around their families during an extended holiday weekend a three-day weekend um, and it was going to be uh, you know difficult for everybody to escape this and here's the problem with that let's say that you know somebody went out on July 4th Kevin you're not going to see positive tests from that probably for four or five days um, just as the virus itself builds up uh, within certain people and then the ability to test for that and then capture that um so you know that's that's the the lag that is sort of going to happen so if we remember and i know we touched on this before you know at one point it was suggested that teams arrive 14 days before um you know the start of their first game and the idea was to let the incubation period completely run out and be within a quarantine system for a full 14 days before it happens what you're going to get from you know teams like the LA Galaxy who just arrived is that you have the ability basically to put yourself um, you know in in a incub- incubation period where you're not possibly going to test positive for the next you know two or three days um, and then you're going to have to deal with that. Um, so it's going to be I think a touchy 
sort of issue um, whenever this comes to uh, how the bubble is going to be perceived. I will tell you that MLS did release their numbers. They said of 557 players currently in Orlando, uh, 13 total players have tested positive. So if we do the math on that, it's 2.33% positive, positive. That's rate. very low. That's a good rate. It is. And that's, and it should stay there or lower. And if you saw the English Premier League today announced that they just did all their testing, and I think they did over a thousand tests, and they had zero positive tests. So uh, it is possible for leagues and for teams uh, to have zero positive tests. Uh, And in fact, the majority of the teams that are in Orlando right now, Kevin, are teams that have had zero positive tests in the bubble, uh, really outside of Nashville and outside of uh, FC Dallas. And then there were, I think, two or three other teams uh, that tested, uh, had one or had one person each, like, you know, test positive. So another three type of thing. Um, Players test positive. You've seen that relatively little uh, amount of positive cases. So I know there's a rush to sort of say, you know, end this all. And I understand where that comes from. Um, And certainly you've been seeing players players tweet things that say if you saw what was going on behind the scenes uh, maybe you change your mind about everybody just you know shutting up and playing uh, so I think there's a lot of interesting sort of backstories that are currently taking place uh, right now I know I talked to uh, at least uh, at least one player um, and this player was like listen I feel really safe in the bubble um, I feel safe I'm, I'm looking forward to going there because where I'm at it's not necessarily you know the safest place in the world um, you know my living situation some of these guys live in apartments some no and everybody lives in houses right so you're not separated by everybody so if you're living in an apartment you obviously have to worry about your neighbors um, and what your neighbors do and what your neighbors touch and whether or not you know you go up in the elevator and all sorts of other stuff that you have to worry about if you're in a certain living situation and to go to the bubble technically is probably a quote-unquote safer place to be than just uh, back home. Um, I know that's not always the case for certain cities. Toronto was one of those was like, listen, it's way better here than in Orlando. So why would we want to go fly into the bubble? All of Canada, Vancouver, Montreal, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, some countries have actually figured this out. The United States isn't one of them. Uh, What can I tell you? So um, so this is the peril that we've put people in. uh, And that goes whether it's for the essential workers who are who are giving you your groceries or it's now these soccer players who are in Orlando. Uh, By the way, but since you mentioned that, something funny came up the other day. If you remember, the NHL was talking about hub cities for their comeback. Um, it, 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 it's interesting how all these leagues are listening to all these health professionals, and they've all come up with totally different models. Uh, MLS and NBA both have the Disney Wild World of Sports, it, you know, quarantined, in a bubble, everybody together. Um, they both came up with that model. Major League Baseball is like, hey, it, it, we're going to play just like it's the old days. They're going to travel around and go to different cities and play in different ballparks and use different locker rooms, and and they're doing it their way. NHL came up with this idea of these hub cities where um, you know four teams would be here and four teams would be there, and four. And they started looking at like L.A. and they were looking at uh, Las Vegas and they were looking at different places. I think that some place in Florida. Last week, I guess they finally just said, screw it. We're taking all these games to Canada, everyone to Canada. And that seems to be a pretty good decision when you look at the coronavirus numbers in Canada and the coronavirus numbers here in the U.S., I think uh, hockey figured it out a little bit late, but they got it right. Yeah, I know. Maybe MLS should be playing everything in Toronto instead. 
Uh, maybe the weather's weather's probably nicer than Orlando, so maybe that's. Have a, you ever been to Vancouver? Oh my God! If they went to Vancouver, I'd stay for the whole tournament. They, I'm, you, I, could you afford to stay for the whole tournament? No, Vancouver's not, an expensive place. So yeah, I'm not okay. paying. You know what it costs to go in the bubble for the NBA? Five hundred and fifty dollars a day. It's six something like sixty six thousand dollars if you want to stay for the whole tournament as a reporter. Wow, they would never pay that much for you. I'm telling you right now. You're. I don't think sixty five dollars is too much. I was gonna. I was gonna say sixty five hundred dollars is probably uh, too much for for the Baxter whenever he's traveling. Um, okay, so I want to get through some statements, and certainly uh, let's cover uh, all the FC Dallas stuff right now. Uh, Major League Soccer announced today that FC Dallas has been withdrawn from the MLS back uh, tournament due to 10 players and one member of the technical staff confirmed positive for COVID-19. Each of these positive tests either occurred upon the club's arrival or within a few days of arrival. The decision was made in the best interest of the health of all players and staff participating in the tournament and in line with protocols created in conjunction with local and national health authorities and infectious disease experts. Um, let's see. Uh, Garber says, given the impact and the number of positive tests on the club's ability to train and play competitive matches, we have made the decision to withdraw FC Dallas from the MLS's back tournament. The health of everyone involved in our return to play has always been our top priority, and we will continue to make decisions consistent with that priority. Um, we already gave you the numbers on that. Uh, FC Dallas, and uh, there was a statement here from FC Dallas head coach Luchi Gonzalez, who, in my opinion, should be on the hot seat because of his handling of his team. Uh, we'll see if that carries through or if everybody's just going to pretend like uh, they didn't have some responsibility in this. Uh, Luchi Gonzalez says, as we continue to focus on the well-being of our players, coaches, and staff who are in isolation in Orlando, we understand it is not in their best interests to compete at this time. While we're disappointed, the health and safety of our traveling delegation as well as our league partners is our highest priority and then um, FC Dallas president Dan Hunt said we absolutely agree with the league's decision to withdraw FC Dallas from the MLS's back tournament out of safety concerns for our players and staff we're looking forward to resuming the 2020 season once the entire club is healthy and in position to play competitive matches at the highest levels well, um, let's, let's, yeah. let's look at that for just a second because we kind of hinted at it but like we probably hit it straight on um, for all the good things that MLS has done I mean I, I do think that they they tried to in, institute best practices um you know they test twice for you can't even come here testing all through their um you know different phases of getting back on the field for workouts once you come here again tested twice when you get to the hotel every other day you have to wear um you know you have to practice social distancing while your mask outside the room uh teams cannot share gyms just two two teams per gym and it's sanitized in between they've done a, a lot of good things but still Step back and, and just let's look at the results so far. Dallas is out of the tournament after 10 players tested positive. Nashville, I think, very much up in the air. Five players apparently test positive. They don't have a full complement. Remember, you can dress, I think, 23 players, right, for yes. a game? Yes. 24. Um, they, right now, if these five players are out of the tournament, they would only have 22 available. So, yeah, they could play the game with 22. But the point being, they haven't even trained since last Tuesday. So that's bad. You had a number of teams, about a half dozen teams, delayed traveling into Orlando uh, for various reasons, most of that having to do with COVID. Um, you have Carlos Vela, ar arguably the biggest draw in the tournament, the reigning MVP and the league uh, single-season goal-scoring record holder, decided today that he was not coming to the tournament, wants to stay home uh, with his wife, who is uh, having complications with her pregnancy. Jonah Dos Santos is not coming. Um, Vela's ne Mexican national team teammate and the Galaxy captain and the guy who really makes the Galaxy go is getting had hernia surgery last week. He won't be there. So, you know, again, 
MLS really pushing into that Mexican market, and they're losing Vela and, and Jonah Dos Santos. Chicharito is here. His wife is pregnant, but he did come to Orlando. Right. So when you look at what, um, you know, despite all the best plans that MLS put together, they don't have their top player. They don't have one of the original 10 MLS franchises. They've been bounced out. One of the expansion franchises, Nashville, could be on their way out, possibly, or at least um, they've been affected by this thing. So it's not exactly going the way Don Garber drew it up. No, it's not. Um, And I think uh, the MLSPA uh, also had a statement on FC Dallas, and I think it's uh, interesting how they phrase their look. Uh, I have to imagine that the MLSPA is fairly, you know, for the most part, I would think in general, they're against having to play this tournament during a global pandemic. Uh, I think they understand that there's probably a need for some of their players to play, and so they are supportive of those players in this tournament, but just by the slimmest of margins. I've always felt that way just reading their statements and sort of how they've gone about things. Um, MLS Players Association says the removal of FC Dallas from competition in Orlando is a reminder of how difficult the circumstances involving returning to work remain across all sports amidst this pandemic. The players and staff from FC Dallas worked incredibly hard over the last few months to be ready to take the field, but removing them, uh, removing the team from the competition is both responsible and necessary. Um, let's see. It says, uh, this past week has been an extraordinary stressful time for FC Dallas players, staff, and their families. Their primary collective focus needs to remain on the care and treatment for all those affected. The MLSPA and players across the league wish all of FC Dallas players and staff a full and speedy recovery. Uh, we talked about it, Kevin. The LA Galaxy did travel today. Um, there was a socially distant rally on Friday that I have to talk about because I was worried this was going to be a calamity. Um, and from all accounts, um, it was just so well done. Uh, something that was really cool uh, to do and people in their cars lined up down the uh, the main driveway there, uh, Dignity Health Sports Park, driveway A, the main entrance um, on both sides. So there's a center median there. So basically you had cars on well, you know, the right side, uh, the left side, and then you go across the median and it was the right side and the left side on that. So basically you had everybody lined up and uh, was able to sort of keep social distance and was cheering from their cars and it looked great and it was fun. Um, it Also, they had the Zoom call this morning uh, that sort of players would go by the computer and wave uh, at fans who were on the Zoom call as they were getting ready to go on the bus. Uh, saw Angel City Brigade, it looks like, and uh, pro- possibly some of the other supporters um, out there today as the bus departed through a cloud of blue, white, and gold smoke. So um, all really interesting things to sort of uh, do it. Again, I thought it was going to be a disaster, and it turned out great. I was wrong, um, and the Galaxy did a great job with sort of that send-off. But uh, one of the questions that got brought up fairly early was whether or not Chicharito was on the bus. Yes, he was on the bus. Yes, he was on the plane. From our understanding, the only person who did not travel with the team is Jonathan Dos Santos. Um, I think you could probably question whether or not uh, Danny Acosta also made the trip, um, but that's one of those that you're not really going to sit there and argue about too much, and if he shows up and he's there and he's training with the team, that's great, and if not and he stayed home to still uh, rehab and do all that stuff, that's fine too. It's not uh, the biggest um, issue there, but Chicharito is there, uh, did travel to Orlando and of course had that knock in the scrimmage uh, on Thursday, but seems uh, at least by all accounts, uh, the LA Galaxy accounts seems to be ready and, and willing to go in this tournament. So uh, the Galaxy themselves are in Orlando. Kevin, you said they've already been tested. I think we saw some uh, some either some videos uh, from players as they were getting tested 
or perhaps it was even some official media pictures that came from the LA Galaxy or from MLS. And and I know MLS has set up this really cool portal that I just signed into um, that I'm able to get, you know, B-roll footage, uh, training footage, pictures, that type of thing. And it's all supposed to be in one spot and we're able to use those. So that's kind of cool. So we'll be, you know, distributing those across the channel and across all the different stories. And we plan on having, you know, full coverage of all the games as they go on. So um, I think it's an interesting time for the Galaxy, Kevin. Um, we just sort of have to wait for those tests results to come back and again it's it's this lag what happened over fourth of july if everybody was good um everybody did the best that they possibly could uh, i think everybody's fine uh, but as you can see there certainly were some people who were nervous on the flight uh rolf felcher had a mask on and a face shield um on his charter flight uh as the pictures would show so uh there's some people who are nervous about this yeah i happen to know that rolf is really really nervous rolf is not having a good time right now yeah, I mean, uh, I, I can understand some of that. Uh, again, I just got on a plane. I was scared to death, too. I don't blame him at all. <laughs> He's in a little bit more of a controlled situation, but I get it. Yeah, no, no. It, it makes sense. If I was going to be flying right now, I would, I would, I think I would have the same sort of response. I, I, I feel like you're certainly hearing a lot from the players who say that they're scared or, or that they're, that they think this is a bad situation. They shouldn't be forced to do it. You're hearing a lot of that. I, I will say that. From the from most of the players I hear, they're like, I feel relatively safe going into this, and it's not going to be, you know, I don't feel like there's a big deal with some of the stuff. Um, you know, we're going to do it as safely as possible, and you know, and we think that that will be successful. Um, so, I mean, there seems to be some confidence in the system from the majority of players. Uh, I don't know how many people voted for the uh, for the tournament to go on, and how many people voted. It could have been like a 60-40 split. It could have been a 55-45 split. Um, you know, it could have been a really narrow margin but uh the mlspa is not going to release that so you could have a bunch of people who are leaning on this and saying i never wanted to be here in the in the first place um and then there's people who probably were like yeah man i'm i, I feel fine about this this seems like it's going to be as safe as you can get again just a 2.33 percent positive rate for players um as they arrive in orlando and now um games getting ready to kick off uh on wednesday right kevin wednesday am i right Wednesday, at, uh, it'll be 5.30 your time. 5.30. All right. That'll be 8.30 your time. So you lucky, lucky right. guy, you. All right. Well, no, wait, I think it's, is it 8? I 8 and 10.30, I think. Yeah, so I think it's 5 and 7.30 your time. Five and anyway, 7. it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. It's what, I'm, glad, I'm glad we were so well prepared. I actually deleted my schedule because I knew it was going to change. It is changing, yes. Yeah, and it, changing it, it, as we speak, probably. Yeah, and so that was that was sort of the big thing that's going to go on. Things will get moved around. Again, I don't expect anything from the LA Galaxy. They sort of have already nailed those in. You're talking about one of the premier teams in Major League Soccer. They're not going to move their games around whenever they've already you know previewed, previewed them for the most part. I don't see that happening. Um, so we'll see whether or not uh, whether or not that stays true and whether or not the LA Galaxy stay on the channels that they're supposed to. Again, I think it's two FS1 games and one ESPN game. The ESPN game is the East Coast El Traffic that'll take place on july 18th um so that should be a lot of fun uh, to, to watch and uh you know everything's getting ready to go is there is there anything else that you want to cover that we haven't talked about um about the la galaxy or about any of this tournament stuff um there is so many there is so much stuff going on uh, is it safe to be in florida where um you know cases are just going crazy yes they're in the bubble but um i mean you when they decided to play the tournament here Florida looked relatively safe. It, it's almost like as soon as MLS said we're coming to Florida, it, someone opened the spigot and it just it just went crazy. They're breaking records every day here. It just doesn't seem like a safe environment to be in. And again, we go back to what Adam Silver said. We have to learn to live with this thing. But uh, I, I do think there has to be 
you know, limits to what we're forced to live with. And um, yeah, they, they gotta, they gotta restart. They have to do this. They have to, you know, has something has to happen, but it just doesn't feel like the timing is right. You know, it's just, there's just something that feels off about all this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the fact that it's completely out of control within most of the United States is probably there. I mean, even in California, cases have been rising um, at faster rates and certainly hospitalizations are up. Uh, positive rates are up. Uh, and, uh, you know, just the, the pure number of tests as well um, is up. So all that stuff is, is happening. I mean, listen, I'm under my second COVID watch. Um, so my first one, I, I got to dodge a bullet um, and ended up not coming in contact with somebody who possibly had come in contact with somebody who was positive. Um, so I, I dodged that one. And this one, uh, probably a little bit closer. And so we'll see if I dodge this one as well. Um, but right now, you know, I'm under COVID watch, which is my second one. I, I think at this point, almost everybody has had at least uh, at least know somebody who has it or has already dodged uh, certain uh, COVID watches as, uh, as you come in contact with some other people. And I try to minimize that as much as possible. Um, but you know, it's I'm I'm part of an essential business, so I'm actually I'm I'm working and I'm in the office uh, in on most mornings. So uh, it's one of those interesting things that we now live in. And I'll say that if this happened at the beginning of the uh, the pandemic, I probably been would have been way more freaked out. But at this point, I think I'm more like okay, so just keep doing washing your hands. You know, uh, keep uh, keep using the hand sanitizer, keep wearing the masks, and stay away from people as much as possible. That's all you can really do. Well, here's a soccer question for you. Yes. With Jonah out, and we know what he brings to the team, and we know his very distinct style of play, and, and he is the motor that makes that offense go. With him out, um, do you just plug Perry Kitchen in? Does he the, is he the guy that takes up the minutes? And if you do that, don't you have to change the style of play? And if you do that, does that hurt Sebastian Legette's ability, say, to move up to the right wing and take uh, Katai's spot? I mean, it, it, does, it seems like this has a whole backup effect that – you can't play the, the the front line that you want because you you don't have the midfield that you want. It seems to 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 change everything. Yeah, um, you know, I was always of the simpler is better. I always think coaches try to change as little of something as possible because you want to maintain the team chemistry and the t- way the team plays as much as possible. So, yeah, I mean, I would look at slotting Perry Kitchen, and you have basically a triangle of Perry Kitchen, Joe Corona, and Sasha Kleschen. Um, You have an issue there because you're not going to be able to get 90 minutes out of all of those, so you're going to have to do something with those guys. Um, Efrain Alvarez was actually playing on the right wing during the scrimmage. I think the scrimmage was a joke. Um, I think that, uh, and Eric said, <laughs> Eric basically put uh, Guillermo Barrescoloto on the hot seat after a scrimmage just because he was like, you know, you're talking about a team that needs team chemistry. They need to play together and you go and you split squat it um, in order to just get, let them run around for 60 minutes and work on individual stuff. It's like individual problem. What wasn't the issue? It's working together as a team. I kind of tend to agree with the hammer on that, which is we didn't learn anything from the scrimmage. And I certainly think people have said, oh, well, this is more competitive this way. So guys get in better work. Okay, cool. What's your other arguments? And the other argument was, well, they're just, they're, they're, they're camouflaging the lineups for the, for the tournament, Kevin. That's what's happening is they didn't want to tip off the tournament uh, with the line. I'm like, all that stuff is, is great and fine for a team that knows how to play together. Uh, We have seen zero indication through the preseason, through the two games that we watched and through the scrimmage that, 
this LA Galaxy team knows how to play together. And so, um, you know, for me, I would like to see uh, moving somebody like Kareniak up and then being able to keep Sebastian Legette in the middle. Uh, but we didn't see Kareniak at all in the scrimmage. And so having said that, you know, is he not either fully fit or is he um, on the outs in terms of, you know, hey, you know, GPS just doesn't like him right now. Um, all those things are questions, but they had Efrain Alvarez out on the right. So if you can slot in Perry Kitchen, if you can move Efrain Alvarez out to the right, which I think is a mistake, but they may do it anyway, um, you know, you, you may have something uh, that sort of resembles the lineup that you should probably be playing with. But uh, I think this whole tournament is just a complete question mark for the other galaxy. I could see them winning all three games. I could see them having a mixed bag and I could certainly see them losing all three games as well. I don't think there's, there's any doubt in my mind that could happen. This is an interesting tournament because I think a lot of teams are not taking it all that seriously. They think it's a joke. I've heard some coaches already talk about what a joke the format is and and push back on the idea that this they had the MLS had to do something and this was the best thing they could come up with. I've I've heard that criticized a lot. And I think you're gonna see some teams like we talked about this before, Miami and Orlando and Kansas City, teams that because of the situations in their home markets were they've been able to train. They've they've I think Kansas City and uh, Atlanta, I think, are the two teams that they've had a month of full team workouts before they left for Orlando. So right. Um, you know, they should be in pretty good shape. And a team like Orlando, who's probably not going to win much in, during a regular season, especially in Miami, they may look at this tournament as, hey, this is a, a place for us to, to really clean up. And and they may be pushing for that Champions League spot. That may be attractive to them. Or the $1.1 million are just simply to get out there and show that they can compete. And then I think you have other teams that, you know, like a Toronto that had had a heck of a time just getting here with coronavirus tested and not wanting to leave Canada was a big part of it. Um, you know, they dragged their feet getting out of there. Teams like LAFC or the Galaxy who looked at, at, at like they were going to be teams that were going to have a good regular season. Um, I don't know that they look at this tournament as a proving ground. But having said all that, I think everybody will agree that the group stage is the most important and, you know, say why there's nothing at stake there. You're not going to win the championships. It's not a knockout game. Why is the group stage important? Because those are the games you take back. And if we're going to have a, uh, I think MLS now is saying 20 plus game regular season, these nine points that are up for grabs, you, if you run the table and take all those nine points and you go back home, you're in a pretty good spot. I think we talked about this, that if, if the galaxy get their nine points, they go back home and they're tied for first, no matter what LAFC does. If LAFC, uh, obviously the Galaxy would beat them, but if LAFC wins their other two games, and then if they go on to win the the, the tournament and the Galaxy doesn't, they still come back and they, they restart play, and the teams are pretty even. Um, you know, they're uh, kind of shared the top of the, of the table there. Um, whereas if you don't do well in the group stage and go on and win the tournament, you don't take that with you. That doesn't right. help you when the regular season restarts. Yeah, I, I was going to say, if I was going to put my money on anybody, I think Peter Vermees in Sporting Kansas City is a great place to go. Uh, Vermees, I think, arrived today, or, or they arrived uh, just recently, and he said, uh, he said, well, we wanted to get here as late as possible because we plan on staying for a long time, right? In terms That's a good quote. <laughs> right? It was, it was one of those, it's like, listen, we're not going home after three games. We're here to win this thing. And for me, Vermees, his attitude, the way he prepares his teams, um, the way that they play is perfect for sort of this World Cup style uh, tournament. So, you know, Sporting Kansas City, I think I, I think the Galaxy have to answer questions, um, you know, in this tournament. I think that they have to understand, yes, they're without Jonathan Dos Santos, which will affect, we've said it, 
the way when Jonathan Dos Santos plays well, the LA Galaxy play well. Um, and without him, there's a huge hole and there's nobody there to fill it or plug it or, or you know, sort of uh, move around it. I don't think the Galaxy have enough talent to be able to do that. We've talked about how shallow the LA Galaxy is as a team. The scrimmage, I think, proved that even more. Um, so I don't consider them to be a deep team that's able to rotate a lot in order to get people fresh legs. It's five games, or five days between games, which is fine, um, but it's not enough, in my opinion, to really sort of set up, you know, just be able to play the same three lineups back to back to back. Uh, there's going to have to be some rotation, and I think the Galaxy suffer anytime there's rotation. So it's going to be an interesting tournament to watch. Uh, the Galaxy start with, you know, their game against Portland. I think Portland has a lot of questions to answer as well. Um, so, you know, I think it's a it's a good first game for them. Uh, the Galaxy have struggled to play against Houston in recent times, uh, beating them at home and then usually losing to them on the road. Um, and then, you know, that uh, El Traficos we have never predicted, but it'll be the first quote unquote El Trafico without Zlatan Ibrahimovic in attendance as well. And so uh, really, it's about uh, team cohesiveness. If the Galaxy lose all three games, Kevin, but you see some semblance of a team starting to come together i think it's a fine for the la galaxy to try to figure some of this stuff out um in this thing but you know if they lose all three games and it's because and it's because they look you know listless and they're not a team and there's no chemistry and you know chicharito is mia um then there's going to be you know <laughs> i can't believe people will say it uh there's going to be pressure on Guillermo barrascoletta we started talking about that before the whole league shut down that there would be pressure on Guillermo this year if he doesn't get the results after they go out and get chicharito uh who could possibly be on one of the richest contracts in major league's uh, history whenever the appropriate bonuses are in place and all that stuff. I doubt that'll hit this year, um, but possibly for next year and, and as they go forward. So, you know, uh, you said it's the first El Trafico without Zlatan. Bigger thing is it's the, uh, also the first El Trafico without Vela, which no one on this broadcast, uh, podcast cares about. But exactly. Bigger, it's the first um, El Trafico played nowhere near the Harbor Freeway. Yeah, I was going to say, no, and probably in not much traffic. I would imagine. Not that much traffic, no. There, there's less traffic. That's okay. Um, yeah, it's a sort of a, a faux Trafico, uh, if you will. Oh, there you go. I just. Faux I, Trafico. I, I, stumbled, <laughs> I stumbled across of it. Uh, I stumbled across it. That's how it works. Um, yeah, a little faux Trafico on the East Coast. So, uh, again, you know, this is going to be watch how the LA Galaxy train, watch how they get together, watch how this builds up to their first game, you know, on July 13th against Portland. All these things are building towards that and if they put together a good run in these three games then perhaps there's something to this you know asterisk laden season that will sort of be out there um you know it's there's always one team that makes a run that nobody expects to make a run so you guys all have to figure out whether or not you think that's the la galaxy this time um because they're certainly in a difficult group and probably one of the hardest groups uh in uh in the entire tournament so a good little group f action and should be uh should be very interesting to to watch all right um, I think that about does it, Kevin. We got to let you go because it's really late in, in Orlando. Uh, it's we got, after the bewitching hour already. Yes, uh, I I have to go because um, I still have to like you know clean up downstairs and then eventually get ready for bed. So that all has to happen, and I have to edit this podcast and get it out. So I think we should probably get moving if you're okay with that, and uh, and we'll yeah. shuffle along. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. Head on over to latimes.com. All of Kevin's coverage, and he's back being a soccer reporter. They embedded him in Orlando. Uh, he got the visit his favorite supermarket Publix. He is loaded up and ready to go 
for some soccer. So please head on over to LATimes.com and uh, read all of his articles. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, at JGuessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast, cornerofthegalaxy.com will have all of your tournament coverage. Uh, we'll start with training as soon as they start releasing some of that stuff, and we'll try to keep you updated uh, all the way through. Uh, fingers crossed for no positive tests for the LA Galaxy. All right. For Mr. Kevin Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Pato Guessman, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.